Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse number 12. Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse number 12. If you're there, say, I'm there. Verse number 12, and to the church, and to the angel in the church in Pergamos write, these things say, he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, you hold fast to my name and do not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was a faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have those who have hold to the doctrine of Balaam, taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel and to eat the sacrifice, eat the things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you have also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which, I, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him some hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. Just for a few moments, I want to just touch on the thought or preach on the thought, the church next door to the devil. The church that was next door to the devil. Look to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, I don't want to be next door to the devil. The church next door to the devil. Lord, add your blessing to the preaching of your word and let everything that's said and done bring you the glory. And everyone said, Amen. I want you to notice how Jesus reveals himself to this church. There are seven churches in the book of Asia in the book of Revelation, and these churches are the churches of Asia. And um, each of these churches have a, a command to them. Some of these churches had to repent of their works. Uh, some of these churches Jesus prays something about. But these churches are not only literal churches that actually existed in Asia, but these churches is a symbol of our church. And I firmly believe that we represent the church of the Laodiceans, which is another sermon. But tonight we're going to look at this particular church and we're going to see how this church overcame in the last days. Because certainly this is a picture of us today. The scripture reveals to us that Jesus comes to this church with a sharp two-edged sword. That's how he reveals himself to his people. He comes to this church with a sword because he is a conqueror and not only a judge. Yes, he is conquering for them and fighting for them, but at the same time, Jesus is judging the sin in the church. You will notice that Jesus pointed out two false doctrines or two false heresies in the church the Nicolaitans, and also Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam. And Jesus said, I'm going to come with a sword. In other words, I'm going to judge the sin that's in the church. I'm going to take care of it. Now, I'm wondering what would happen if Jesus showed up to our churches now. I'm wondering what Jesus would say if he would see some of the mess in our churches today. How would he judge us? Yes, he is a judging Lord, but at the same time, he gives courage to the saints. He gives courage to them. Because he said, he said, to those who overcome, 
I'm going to give you a white stone, and I'm going to give you some manna. So not only is he judging the immorality in the church, not only is he judging the false heresy and false doctrine in the church, at the same time, he gives courage and edification to the church and tells the church, I'm going to give you a white stone if you can overcome in the end. You see, sometimes we get mixed up in the church and we think that all God is is a judging God. And we forget that He is a Father who knows how to praise His children. This Scripture clearly indicates to us that not only does He function as a judge, not only does He come with a two-edged sword, but He is a Father and He comes and rewards His children with manna. He is a judge and He is a Father. How can that be? Well, just in natural life, your own father, if you have a father who is present and active in your life, a good father would be a father who would judge things in your life, who would correct you and do discipline. But at the same time, a good father understands that each child needs the nourishment of praise and adoration in their life. And that's how our God is. He is a judge. He deals with the sin. But at the same time, he knows how to praise and give courage and adoration to the believers who is in this church. I don't know about you, but the discipline of God is not, is, is, is not easy sometimes. But He discipline, disciplines us because He loves us. He cares for us. He desires for us to grow and mature into the person that Christ has created us to be, according to Ephesians chapter number 4. This church is a prime example of the church that we're living in today. And in this passage you see three things. Number one, you see the faith of the church. You see the faith of the church. Number two, you see the failings of the church. And number three, you see the future of the church. In this passage, you will see the faith of these people, you will see the failings of these people, and you will see the future of these people. Just very quickly, let's look at these three things. Number one, the faith of this church. The Bible says in verse number 12, unto the angel at the church of Pergamus right. I want you to notice the word Pergamus there. The word Pergamus there is a city. And, and Jesus is speaking to the angel or to the messenger to the church. And this church is located in Pergamus. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you unless you know, anything, unless you know a little something about Pergamus. Did you know that Pergamus in Asia was a great city? As a matter of fact, it had one of the greatest libraries in Asia. It had the greatest library almost known to man. There was many heathen temples, and they were known for their sexual immorality. Priests who dedicated themselves to the worship of their foreign gods would have intercourse with women on the altars of their temples. This is how perverse they were. They were the social center of the city. It, they were known to have sexual orgies in the temple. They were known to be the seat of Satan. And that's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, you are dwelling in the center. You are dwelling in the center of Satan. This church, the church that I love, is in the middle of the seat of Satan. Because it's perverse. They were known for their perverseness in their temples. This poor little church known in Pergamos, a poor little church, is sitting next door to Satan's house. I mean, this city was popular. 
This city was grand. It had its gold temples. They were buying. They were selling. I mean, it was the city to live in. It was fast paced. People were busy, but yet in the busyness, there was perversion. In the busyness of their lives, there was perversion and sexual immorality and worship of false gods. And Jesus said, this is the home of Satan. Now, you know Jesus was actually, wasn't actually saying that Satan actually lives there, but he is saying that there is so much perverseness in this city that there is a strong presence of the enemy in that city. There is a strong presence. Do you know that cities with large populations of people have more activity of sin than those who don't? You've got to fight bigger devils in bigger cities because the cities are populated with people. And when you have more people, you have more perversion. And here is this little church setting right there. Where is Satan? Where does Satan work? Satan works in the hearts of people, but when there are lots of people, there is lots of activity of the enemy. You see, Satan is there. Let me say this and let me say it loud and clear. If the devil is busy, we should be busier. We'll say that again. If the devil is busy, we should be busier. If the world makes its entertainment appealing, then the church must make the gospel more appealing. We are in a battle, ladies and gentlemen. The forces of darkness against the forces of light. And this is what this church was facing. But I am encouraged when I read this story, Pastor Ronnie, that these people Jesus praised. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a white stone and I'm going to give you some manna because you're going to make it to the end. Jesus knew that this church, they were not cowards. They were not ashamed of the gospel. As a matter of fact, Jesus knew that no matter how small the church is, they could never be outnumbered by the forces of darkness. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? Now hear an amen. Although it is a little city, just a few believers, you would think that there would be more tares than wheat. You would think that there would be more darkness than light. But Jesus is saying, you're going to make it to the end because when I am with you, then when I am fighting for you, there is no doubt that you're going to win in the end. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus said He reminded them of somebody. He said, verse number 13, I know your works. I know where you dwell. That's Satan's throne. He said, Satan is right there in the city. But then he said, he said, but hold fast to my name. He said, don't give up. Don't deny your faith. He said, Jesus said, remember Antipas? He was a faithful martyr and he died. He said, he said, you've got to hold on to me. You've got to hold on to my name. You've got to hold on to my doctrine. He said, you've got to hold on just like Antipas hold on, held on. He said, Antipas died. Antipas died as a martyr because he refused to compromise. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to survive, if you're going to thrive in Satan's throne, you've got to have the faith of Antipas that no matter what comes against you, you're willing to die for your faith. 
because you're not going to easily compromise what you believe. He said, you remember Antipas? He said, Antipas held on to my name. But in the end, Antipas was a faithful martyr. He was faithful to the end. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to live and survive and operate and worship me in Satan's throne, you've got to be faithful just like my brother Antipas. Now who is Antipas? Many theologians have argued over this point. Some believe that Antipas was a general name given to Christians who died for their faith. Other theologians hold to the belief that Antipas was their dear pastor. Now I am not sure if this means a general label for Christians or whether it means it's their pastor. But this is what I want you to see. Antipas, the word Antipas means this, against all, against all. In other words, Jesus is trying to relay here. Whether this man was the church's pastor or whether this is just a general title to anybody who stands against the forces of darkness, stands against the enemy, and stands for truth, whatever it means, I think that the point is clear, is that you've got to have enough faith and you've got to have enough tenacity and perseverance for God that your faith is able to stand against the compromising forces that come against you and not become a part of the compromising force. Is there anybody in the building that you are an Antipas tonight? You're willing to stand against the forces of darkness? Can somebody shout amen, say a thank you, Jesus? You see, when Christians in the first century, when they were called upon the emperor of Rome. Listen to this, Pastor. When the emperor of Rome would call upon those ancient Christians to deny their faith, the emperor would give them a decision to make. Either you worship the emperor as God, or you die for your faith. The majority of Christians, of course, did not worship the emperor, and they died for their faith. And you know what it is said by Josephus that I think is so enlightening? That when these early Christians died, the emperor would say to them, if they refused to worship the emperor as God, the emperor would say, then we are against you. The world is against you, is what the emperor would say to these Christians. And Josephus says that these Christians, before they died, would look at the emperor and say, I'm against the whole world. Oh, what faith. Men and women died for their faith because they stood up to the opposing forces of their day and said, I'm not going to bend, bow. I'm not going to compromise my faith. My faith is strong. My faith will persevere. And if I have to be against the emperor, I'm going to be against, I'll be against everyone. The Christian would say, I'm against the world. Because they refuse to compromise their faith. What is Jesus trying to tell us? Jesus is simply trying to tell this church, listen, you are living in the heart of the devil's playground. And if you're going to win in the devil's playground, you've got to have faith like Antipas, and you've got to stand against the forces of darkness. Stand against it. 
got to be like Antipas. You got to be against it. That doesn't mean you don't show love. That doesn't mean you don't uh, uh, witness to people. But that means that you don't compromise your faith in a compromising world. You see, that was the faith of the church. But Jesus is not only a judge, but we know Jesus is a father. Jesus is praising them for their faith. He's encouraging them to be like Antipas. He's a father. But at the same time, our Lord, our Master is a judge. And I want you to look at the failings of this church. Jesus says, even though you need to stand for your faith, even though you need to be like Antipas, I want to remind you that there's a few things happening in the church that you need to be aware of. You know what Jesus said. Jesus said, I have a few things against you, verse 14. Revelation 2, 14. But I have a few things against you. Because there are some of you, not all of you, there are some of you that's holding to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. It seems to me that every time there is perversion, there is some sort of sexual immorality, isn't there? He says, I have a few things against you. Somehow we get all shocked in the church when somebody commits a sexual sin and we're like, ooh, I guess they've been dealing with it for a long time. Come on, somebody. You know, the, the issue was the doctrine of Balaam. Now what was Balaam? You know the story of Balaam. The children of Israel was on their way to the promised land. Am I right? And King Balak wanted to stop him. It was a king that wanted to stop the children of Israel. So you know what King Balak did? He got a prophet by the name of Balaam. And he said to Balaam, I'll give you a huge sum of money if you will go over there and look at those children of Israel and curse them. Balaam tried to curse Israel, but God would not permit it. Because what God has blessed, you cannot curse. Somebody say amen. Balaam tried to curse them. But every time Balaam tried to curse him, it didn't work. Because what God has blessed, it cannot be cursed. And it can't even be reversed. Instead of, instead he put a blessing in his mouth for Israel. So what did Balaam do? Balaam did not want to lose the money. So he enticed, this is what Balaam did, the prophet. You know what he did? He didn't want to lose the money. He couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't curse him because God has blessed him. So he thought to himself, I, I still would like to have that money. So do you know what Balaam did? Balaam enticed some of the men in Israel. He enticed them to go to the heathen temples to defile themselves and indulge in religious orgies. The prophet did it. And because of that, guess what God did? He cursed the people. So Balaam thought to himself, I got what I wanted. God cursed you. And since now you're cursed, Balaam can give me the money. And you know what God, Jesus is saying in this scripture? Jesus is saying, some of you are falling into the heresy of the doctrine of Balaam. Now hold on. What is the doctrine of Balaam? Is the doctrine of Balaam sexual immorality? No, 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 no. The doctrine of Balaam is going after greed. 
The doctrine of Balaam is going after money for spiritual profit. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to preach the gospel to you. You can't buy the blessing of God. You can't buy the healing of God. You can't buy salvation. It is not for sale. And he said, some of you have fallen for the doctrine of Balaam. You are running after money and greed for spiritual indulgences. Boy, don't that, Sister Lana, describe TBN and all the other networks. And there are some good programs there. Not to mean to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but it seems and it appears as though, it appears, that if you send your $70.75, because Isaiah 70.75 says this, you will receive seven blessings because there are seven anointings from the tabernacle in the book of... Ladies and gentlemen, listen, I went to a church like that for years. That is not in Scripture. You cannot buy it. Now, I do believe in giving and being generous and being moved by the Spirit of God and listening to the Spirit of God and obeying the Spirit when He tells you to give. I believe in, that you can walk in the blessing and the favor of God. I believe all that. But you cannot buy the blessing of God dependent on somebody's finances. You know, you can't do it. And he said, in this church, and I have nothing against TBN, so you can watch TBN. I'm just saying, sometimes it appears that it can appear that way. He said, that's the problem I have with you. You're going after worldly carnal things. And then he said, the second thing is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You know what that was? Go back to this scripture. He said, he said, Verse 15, he says, and then there are those of you, Revelation 2.15, he said, there are those of you that's holding to this doctrine. What is this doctrine? You know, the Nicolaitans was a group of people who was concerned about hierarchy more than they were concerned about the needs of people. They were concerned about structure. Nicolaitans means to rule or to dominate. And he said, there are some of you who are dominating the people of God because you desire control, you desire power. Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing wrong with leadership in the church, but there is something wrong with domination in the church. Jesus said, these doctrines are getting out of hand. Some of you are running after gain. Some of you are more concerned about worldly pleasures. And some of you are concerned with power. Boy, don't that sound like the American church? It sounds like PMS. Power, money, sex. Oh, if the devil can't get you with power and control, he'll get you with some kind of thing with money. Just like Judas putting his hand in the money bag. He can't get you that. He'll get you with some kind of sexual sin. Isn't it? Jesus said, some of you got a problem with worldly gain and some of you got problems with power. But Jesus already said, some of you have already committed sexual immorality. There's the three. There's the three. Power, money, and sex. Those are the three. He said, look at verse 14. He said, there's a few of you because there are those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam. 
put a stumbling block for the children of Israel to commit sexual immorality. There it is. If it's not one thing, it's another. You see, Jesus clearly said, the faith of the church, you need to be like Antipas. You need to be strong. He said, but I have a few things against you. You need to clarify these. You need to get rid of these false doctrines. And in closing tonight, Jesus talked about the future of this church. Jesus ends this discourse. He says in verse 16, Revelation 2.16, Repent, or else I'll come quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Revelation 2, verse 17, who, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give him some hidden manna to eat, and I'll give him a white stone. And on that stone, I'll give him a name that nobody knows except him who receives it. Now what does Jesus say? He says, listen, if you can endure, and if you can be like Antipas, and if you can get rid of the doctrine of Balaam out of the church, and you can clean up the power and the money and the sex. He says, your future is bright. He says, because I am going to give you some manna. What is manna? Manna is a type in the Old Testament, a type of Christ. Do you know what Jesus is actually saying? Listen, this is so exciting. He said, if you can be like Antipas, if you can be strong, if you can stand against the forces of darkness and Pergamos, if you can get rid of the false doctrines in the church and repent of that, he says, manna, I'm going to give you manna, I'm going to give myself to you. I'm going to be your reward. I'm going to be your treasure. I'm going to be the manna from God for you. And he says, not only am I going to give you manna, I'm going to give you a white stone. Now why a white stone? Well, because you've got to understand in Jewish custom, when somebody went to court and they were on trial, listen to pastor, and if they were on trial for a crime and they was acquitted of the crime, the judge would give a white stone to them as a form of pardon. So if somebody brought up their crime again, they could take out the white stone and say, no, 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 the judge has already hardened me. Ooh. Jesus said, if you can be like Antipas, if you can be strong, if you can get rid of the false doctrines in the church, I promise you, I'm going to acquit you of all of your sins. I'm going to give you a white stone and it's going to be proof that I've pardoned you. Woo! going to give you a white stone. Ladies and gentlemen, a little church in a big city, a big city called Pergamos, a city committing every form of sin imaginable, but a little church, Jesus said, just hold on like Antipas. Don't, don't allow power, money, and sex to get corrupt you. If you can keep from that, in the end, I'm going to give you a white stone and I'm going to be your reward. I'm going to be your manna. Somebody say, hallelujah.